been doing is reading and learning instructions that God has given us for his church from his scriptures, from the book of 1 Timothy. And what we have seen is there are 15 fairly clearly identifiable instructions that God wants us to implement in his church. Uh, Just before we get into today's 15th and final instruction, I want to reflect back on the last uh, three months. For about a half of a year, or maybe a little bit longer before we started into this sermon series, it was the elders' desire that we would do this series, and not just preach it, but that we would break the church into small groups, discipleship groups, that we would meet in homes, and then we would go over the instruction, the preaching of the word again in smaller groups. We wanted to make almost the the, the teaching and the preaching and the content of this book, if I could say redundant in the best possible way. We wanted it to to seep into the, 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 the very consciousness of each of us. We wanted it to become the very fabric of who we are as a church. It'd be interesting to know if you feel that progress has been made on that front. Do you feel, having come to the end of the book of 1 Timothy, that you're much more familiar with its contents? Do you feel that you have wrestled with its contents? Do you feel that you've gone before the Lord over some challenging pieces, some controversial passages, and, and really sought the Lord and said, Lord, help me to understand this so that I can be a contributing member of my local church? The hope is that this would become the heartbeat of South Shore Bible Church. That, that we would be not just people who pay lip service to the Bible, but having read it and understood it and wrestled with it and discussed it uh, with one another and prayed over it and wrestled with it at home, that we would then implement it so that if anyone were to come in, uh, they may not know exactly what we're doing that we're actually implementing 1 Timothy, but that if you sat them down and opened the Bible and just walked them through 1 Timothy, you could say, this is what we're all about. You may ask, what's our plan for church growth? Uh, What is our approach to, quote-unquote, doing church? How are we going to be effective? How are we going to to bring people in and disciple them? We really only have one strategy And that is to be faithful, faithful to God's vision, to to really say, God, what do you want us to do? And then to do it, which means that now the hard work begins. The easy part is reading the Bible. The easy part is discussing the Bible. The, The easy part is understanding the Bible. The easy part is disagreeing about what we think the Bible says and means, where it gets really hard. Uh, This is where the work begins. This is where the fight starts. Not fight against one another, but we fight together, the good fight. We're going to see that today. The fight starts now. Uh, You have heard what the leadership of this church, what your elders have said. This is what we believe the word of God says. Now we do it. Now we do it. Time for reading, struggling, and listening. It's not over, but... We're transitioning to let's do it, and let's do it well. Paul, when he gets to the end of the letter of 1 Timothy, says, fight the good fight of the faith. And I don't want anyone here to be deceived. This is a fight. And it's a fight that I want to fight with you. Let us fight together to fight the good fight of the faith. And what is the good fight of the faith? That's what we're going to look at today. So would you open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And as you're looking for your spot, would you please stand. First Timothy chapter 6 verses 11 to 16 and 20 to 21. As for you, O man of God... Flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, 
gentleness. Fight. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession Keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Yes, to him be honor and glory and eternal dominion. Amen. O Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be These are the words of God. Let's pray. Lord, we have read this letter. We have discussed this letter. We have identified and seen your instructions for your church. We have understood how it is you want us to behave in your household. Now, we pray, help us to do it. Help us not to worry about naysayers and scoffers on the outside. Help us worry only about being faithful. May our only uh, rubric for success, the only way that we might evaluate how we're doing is how faithful are we to your word. How faithfully do we implement your scriptures? Are we living by your instructions, your vision for your church? And may we not be sidetracked. Lord, protect us from being distracted or losing our way by chasing lesser ideas by lesser men. We pray for the elders that you would especially guard us in our decision-making as we seek to pursue you with all that we have and to lead this church after you. Help us not to lose sight of the goal, which is faithfulness to your word. Continue to unite us around the elders' table and help us to seek after your vision for your church. And Lord, I pray, please, would you strengthen the church to follow us as we follow Christ? Would your grace be upon this church? And we together plead with you, add to our number those who are being saved by our witness that we may train them how to be faithful and to live according to your instructions. We, we can't do anything apart from Christ. Forgive us, Lord, when we try. I'm asking you, I'm calling on you, God. Glorify yourself in this church. As you have, so will you. In the increasing measure, would we be astounded by the things you do among us? All the glory will go to you and to all the praise because you alone have immortality. You alone live in unapproachable light. 
simply ask that we would be an outpost of your kingdom. Guard the unity of this church, Lord. In your name we pray. Please be seated. Paul's coming to the end of his letter, so he's wrapping it up. This is really a, a, le a letter that, or a, a preaching passage that looks back on the whole letter. And he begins by calling on Timothy to be the opposite of the problem people that are introduced in chapter 1. And at the beginning of chapter 6, we, we revisited who these problem people were and the destructive habits that they brought into the church. And they, these problem people were making the whole church sin sick. And untreated, the, these problem people would have killed the church. And so Paul has exhorted Timothy to confront those people. And now he begins this closing portion of his letter by saying, don't be like them. And if this instruction is for Timothy, by extension, it's for every pastor and every elder's team. And if it's true of the pastor and the elder's team, it's true for every person in the church. So, so these instructions are for us if we call ourselves by the name of Christ. Just take a look at the beginning of verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. O man of God, is there a man of God here? If you call yourself by the name of Christ, you're a man of God. Uh, or you're a woman of God. Uh, as for you, O man, O woman of God, the church, Christ's faithful bride. Flee these things. What things? What things are we being told to flee? Well, without re-preaching what I've preached the last couple of weeks, uh, it's basically all of chapter 6 to this point, especially verses 3 to 5. Let's just review very quickly verses 3 to 5. These are the things that we in the church must flee from. Uh, after this, we're going to see the things that we must chase after. But first, we have to flee from some things, those things that would threaten the church. Go back to verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Oh, man of God. Oh, woman of God. Oh, church of God. Flee these things. What things? Any different doctrine. Any different doctrine. Any doctrine that undermines the gospel of Jesus Christ. Flee that. The sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you are not holding on to the sound words of Jesus Christ... Flee those counterfeit words. Conceit. Appointing ourselves to positions of authority. And then putting ourselves over other people. Saying, it must be my way. Flee these things. Unhealthy craving for controversy. Opposition for opposition's sake. Flee such behavior. Quarrels about words. If you're focused in on the small things and not the big things of the gospel, flee that small-mindedness. Envy. Unhealthy competition among one another. If you are feeling competitive with a brother or sister in Christ, flee from that. Be glad. Rejoice over the blessings that your Father has given to your brothers and sisters in the faith. Dissension. Insubordination. A refusal to follow leadership. Flee that. Have nothing to do with that. Slander. Saying things that you ought not to say. 
taking a kernel of truth and twisting it. Flee from that. Evil suspicions, paranoia that that person must be thinking or doing that when there's no evidence. Flee that. And constant friction. Flee from that. If we're going to be a church that honors the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're going to have any hope of implementing 1 Timothy, we have to flee these things. That's how Paul starts. Having told Timothy what to flee, then Paul says, and there are some things. Don't just run away from some things, but set your eyes on the very things that you ought to be chasing after. And it's amazing. If you chase after these things, you will be fleeing those things. Because you cannot pursue after the wrong things and the right things at the same time. At best, you'll run after the right things for a time and then turn around and go exactly in the wrong direction the other way. But you cannot pursue both at the same time. And so having told Timothy what to flee, Paul now shows Timothy what to pursue. And take a look at the second part of verse 11. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Run after righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is an internal holiness that comes about in two ways. Pursue good doctrine. Pursue the the doctrines of justification and sanctification. Look to the cross and see what Jesus has done for you. And everything that Jesus has, all of his righteousness, God imputes to you. Pursue after that. Find your righteousness not in yourself or in your own works, but in the finished work of Jesus Christ and in the progressive sanctification that he has purchased us for. Don't be content with where we are at, but we must continually pursue after righteousness, not just as a position before God, but as a reality that takes hold of our lives and is manifested in the things that we say, the thoughts that we have, the feelings we have, and the things that we do with our bodies. Pursue righteousness. That's that internal transformation from one degree of glory to another. Get on your knees and plead with God for that righteousness. Because you cannot bring it about by yourself. It is a work of God. Secondly, pursue godliness. If righteousness is internal piety and internal holiness, godliness is external holiness and external piety. It it is that which righteousness produces in a life. Godliness is the outward expression of an inward faith. In short, it's the implementation of the scriptures. It's obedience to the commands of Christ. And what this looks like for a church, a church could be said to be godly if it is implementing 1 Timothy. Let's pursue that together then. Thirdly, faith. Pursue faith. What is faith? There's saving faith and there's living faith. Once you're saved by faith, don't stop pursuing faith. That's the beginning of a life of faith. Faith is a proper focus always on Christ and the gospel. It's a refusal to be distracted by this world. It's a refusal to be distracted by anything less than the eternal promises of God. Pursue faith. And in your day-to-day, forget about the problems today. I mean, you can't exactly forget about them, but choose to look past them with the eyes of your heart opened to that which is not yet before you, the return of Christ, resurrection from the dead. Today we walk by faith, but one day we will walk by sight. We will see Christ. We will see his heavenly glory. We will see the throne of God. We will see our loved ones in Christ who have passed on before us. We will see a new heavens and a new earth. So pursue faith. Pursue the things above. Fourthly, pursue love. And love is not a feeling. If there was any question about whether or not Hollywood understood love, 
in the post-Harvey Weinstein world, we know that Hollywood does not define love. Hollywood is dealing with some very real skeletons in its closet right now, which are far-reaching. So we could go to Hollywood for our definition of love, but we will be disappointed. Or we could go to love incarnate Jesus Christ himself. And he says, this is love. I came. Though perfect, I carried your sin. I nailed it to the cross and I died, having received the full wrath of God. And I was buried. I came back to life. Pursue that kind of love. Seek to love your husband or your wife and your children like that, laying down your life. By living, not by dying. Lay down your life for the church. Church isn't all about you. It's not all about me. It's all about Jesus Christ. So if we're going to pursue love in the church, we lay down our life for the church. We don't ask the church to lay down its life for us. Jesus Christ has already done that. Now it's our turn. Love is the giving of self for the sake of others. Pursue that. Finally, pursue gentleness. Gentleness is not the same as wimpiness. Gentleness is not tolerance or niceness. Gentleness is the way a doctor is when he resets your broken arm. It hurts sometimes, doesn't it, when someone is gentle? Gentleness is using only as much force as is necessary. And anything short of using as much force as is necessary is not loving. Using too much force than is necessary is not gentle. Pursue gentleness, correcting one another according to the words of Scripture and use only as much force as is necessary. These are the things that characterize a healthy church. And all of this provides the background, the context for the 15th and final instruction. Flee from these things. These things that create the uh, sin sickness in the church. The, th the things that, that threaten the very life of the church. Flee away from that. But pursue after these other things. And if we all pursue after these things, oh, how healthy South Shore will be. And what a witness we will be. And how good our lives, individually together, will be if we all set our heart to pursuing these things. Now we come to the 15th and final instruction for the church, which is right in verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. I love the way this is worded. Maybe 10 years ago I wouldn't have, but with, you know, 11 or 12 years of ministry, I have come to learn that it is a fight. You want to be a part of the church? You want to live for Christ? You want to make your life matter? Can't, it, it's not coasting. It's not going through the motion. It's a decision to fight. And it's not a decision to fight against one another. Our fight is not with one another. Our fight is together against the powers and principalities in this world, which, which are at war against God and are winning, in a temporal sense, the masses. Now, we know that the fight is won by Christ, and ultimately, the battle is his. So we can choose to be what seems to be the winning side today, and let me just nuance this in two ways. You could be a part of the world, which it seems like the side to be on. It seems like the, that side is winning. That side is already lost. But there's another, more subtle side, to be on the side of the lazy Christian. I'm not going to fight. I'm going to say my prayers. I'm going to go through the motions. But I'm not going to fight with the church, with Christ. Paul here says, no, that's, you'll, you'll never, ever implement 1 Timothy if you're not ready to fight together. So fight. We are at war 
And it, you do not win the war by pretending the war is not raging. You win the war by training and by fighting. So Paul says, fight the good fight of the faith. And if we do, and this is conditional, you see, if we fight the good fight of the faith, the rest of verse 12, then we will take hold, do you see it there? Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul's not talking about whether you're saved or not saved. What he's saying is don't wait until the day you die to take hold of eternal life. He's saying fight the good fight of the faith now. And if you do, conditional, you will be taking hold of eternal life and you'll be living it now to the glory of Christ. Do you want to live an eternal life now or do you want to wait until you die? If you want to take hold of the eternal life, that you will commit with this church to fight the good fight of the faith. And if you do that, you, with us, will live by taking hold of the fullness of the life that God has promised us. Now we just need to finish with one question. How do we fight? I know, we, we flee certain things and we pursue other things. But can we say anything more about this fight? Is, it, is there anything else that we can say? I would say yes, that, that occupies the rest of what we're going to look at today. And I'm going to show you five ways that we fight the good fight of the faith. So if you, if you want to take hold of eternal life, listen to each of these five things. And prayerfully as the word of God is being preached to you, commit to the Lord that you will fight this fight with South Shore. And having made that commitment to God, just plead with him to help you and plead with him to help us that we will fight together and we will be victorious because we fight with the king, not against him. Number one, what does it mean to fight the good fight of the faith? Fighting the good fight of the faith means ministering with an awareness that God is watching. It's so easy to, to be a Christian and to forget that God is watching, that God cares to see how we live. He cares to see how we make much of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He cares when we're speaking about one another in what we think is behind closed doors. He hears. He sees. And it matters to him. So if we're going to fight the good fight of the faith, we must fight this fight with an awareness that we fight it before the very throne of God. Take a look at verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus. This beginning part of verse 13, I charge you, this is Paul's way of saying this is how you fight the good fight. Fight the good fight of the faith. Let me tell you how. I'm going to charge you, and it also reminds us back to the beginning of the letter. I charge you to fight this fight in the presence of God. And in the presence of Christ. And in case we forgot, God is the one who gives life to all things. We have a big God. Anything, anyone that draws life receives that life from God. And God is aware of everything that has life in the universe, including you and you and you and me. So we fight the good fight knowing that God is watching. Now, I'm just going to give each of us a moment. Think back on your week. Think back on your month. Think back on your year. God has seen it all. God has heard it all. Have you been fighting the good fight with South Shore on the side of Christ? Let's just pause. It Maybe... All of us, in some way, need to offer our confession 
to the Lord and seek his forgiveness. If we're going to start clean, if we're going to be shoulder to shoulder in this war, we might need to call down some forgiveness from the one who's been watching and hearing. God, we have forgotten that you've been watching. We have forgotten that you've been listening. Have mercy on us. Forgive us our sins. And change our hearts. And bridle our tongues so that we can fight the good fight in a way that pleases you. In a way that you would look down on us and say, now is time to pour out your blessing. Jesus, we know you died for so much more. Have mercy. Number two, fighting the good fight of the faith means that we choose now to suffer with Christ. It hurts to fight the good fight of the faith. It hurts to commit to faithfulness to the scriptures. It costs us something. Don't be deceived into thinking it doesn't cost anything. It costs time. It costs money. It costs emotional reserves. It's going to cost us if we choose to do this. Take a look at the second half of verse uh, 13. So, well, read all of verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Paul here at this point in the letter is reminding Timothy, I want you to remember Jesus. But before we get to the, to the resurrected, exalted, glorified, returning king, I want you to remember Jesus at that moment when he was before Pontius Pilate. Because if you're going to fight the good fight of the faith, uh, you don't get the crown without the cross. You don't get to bypass the suffering. You, gotta, you have to make a commitment to be united with Christ before Pontius Pilate. And that's where we're at right now. Oh, the resurrection will come. The glory will come. And we will be exalted with Christ. And we will, we will reign with Christ. Those are true promises. But first, we stand before Pilate. And Pilate asks us, are you with the one who calls himself the king of the Jews? How do you answer? You see, Jesus is our leader. If Jesus is our leader, why do we think even for a moment that we wouldn't suffer? If the leader, the king, we're getting into Christmas, God in human form came to suffer. Should we not also expect to suffer? And how many of us are preparing ourselves for that? How many of us are caught off guard when the suffering comes? In whatever form, uh, so long as the suffering is a direct result of your commitment to Christ. I'm not talking about suffering that's common to all people. I'm talking about suffering that comes because you've committed yourself to Christ. I struggle with this all of the time. I have one view of what a successful ministry would look like. I have my own desires for what South Shore would be. I have my own vision of, of five years and 10 years and 20 years. And part of the suffering sometimes is when that vision is 
brought low because God has a different vision. God, God has something else in mind. And because pastors, like all people, are at least partially ego-driven, it's hard. It's hard when the suffering comes at the hands of one who calls himself brother or sister. How are you suffering for Christ? And if you're not suffering for Christ, are you fighting for Christ? That seems to be the connection here. Fight the good fight of the faith in the presence of God who's watching. Identify with Jesus as he was before Pontius Pilate. If you're not suffering, you're not fighting. Now, I'm not saying go out and look for suffering. We don't suffer for suffering's sake. That's not what I mean. But I think we could all agree that every one of us, myself especially, or included, we could fight a little harder for Christ, right? Number three. Fighting the good fight of the faith means keeping the commandment unstained and free from reproach. Take a look at verse 14. So I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. So if we're going to fight the good fight, it has something to do with keeping the commandment unstained and free from reproach. Well, what commandment does he have in mind here? What is it exactly that, that he is thinking about? I would suggest to you that keeping the commandment, although it's in the singular, encompasses all of Christ's commands. Especially in the context of this letter, it's implementing First Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God, who's watching, and Jesus, who suffered, to keep the commandment by implementing this letter. Don't just read this letter. Don't just discuss it. Do it. Keep it. Make every effort to do what it says. Not some of it and, and, and not others, but all of it. Free from reproach. That is, that if any person... You know, if, say, any, any non-Christian were to open up 1 Timothy and read it, and they don't believe it, but they read it, and they understand what it says, and then they were to spend any time with us, we are keeping the commandment free from reproach if after a period of time that non-Christian could say, I don't agree with you people. I think you're crazy and out to lunch, but you are doing what this letter says you should do. That's what it means to fight the good fight of the faith. They may not agree with us, but they cannot deny that we take the scriptures seriously and we do everything that we can to implement them. Just a very short personal aside. This kind of is a carryover from sort of some of my suffering. I don't know if it's good or bad, but it just is. It drives me crazy and it breaks my heart all at the same time when I hear people saying that South Shore doesn't care about the Bible or that we're not interested in implementing the Bible. And I've heard that. I don't know if you've heard it. But let us in this room commit to when you hear that, when you hear anybody say that we are loose with the scriptures or that we don't care about the word of God or that we are just sort of doing our own thing, could we commit together to stand up and say, I don't know what church you're talking about because that's not my church. That's not the church at South Shore. South Shore cares about the Bible. All we want to do is read and learn and live the Bible. Now, if we disagree about a couple of things, that's going to happen. But let it never be said of us, and let us never stand for it. 
that people would say that we're loose with the Bible. We love the Word of God. I I have given my life to the Word of God. Everything I do is to understand it so I can teach it to you and live it out. So would we together with gentleness, with only as much force as is necessary, correct that faulty opinion of our church? Because we will fight the good fight of the faith by keeping the commandment to the best of our ability. Will we do it perfectly? We won't. Are we going to stumble and trip? We will. But everyone that joins this church must know that we're serious about the Bible, and we're going to ask every one of you, as I ask myself, to make every effort, not just to know the words of God, but to do them. And that's how we're structuring our church. The truth matters if we're going to live for God. So let's learn the truth and let's do it. Fourth, fighting the good fight of the faith means making every decision, saying every word, doing all ministry in light of the return and judgment of Christ. You know, this really changes things. If we make decisions based on tomorrow or next year or five years from now, we might make the wrong decision. For example, if you're asking yourself, should I, with love and concern, confront a brother or sister in Christ for a a sin I see in their life, If you're worried about tomorrow or next year or five years, you might not do it because it might make your relationship strained. But if you know that one day that brother or sister in Christ has an appointment with the Lord Jesus Christ and they're going to have to give an account for their life, you're going to be much more bold speaking the truth in love to them. And and that's how I try to position my ministry. It's how I try to think through what should I say and what should I not say from the front. What parts should I skip over and what parts do I have to drill deep into based on my relationship with you as a church, my own prayers to God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. There's some things I might not say if I'm just worried about tomorrow or next year. But, as I have said already, my number one focus is to get each of you ready to meet Christ. That that makes a world of difference. Just take a look here in verse 14 through 16. Fight the good fight of the faith in the presence of God who sees all things of Christ Jesus who suffered before Pontius Pilate by keeping the commandment, implementing the scriptures, halfway through 14, until. So how long do we have to do this? Until. One year, five years, ten years, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a long fight. But rest assured, verse 15, he will display, that is God the Father, will display the return of Jesus Christ at the proper time. He, God the Father, who alone is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone dwells in immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Everything we do, we do in in light of this fact that God our Father, who's transcendent, who no one has seen or can see, who, who holds immortality in his hand, who spoke the universe into existence, who, who gives us permission to draw breath. There's going to come a time when he sends forth his son a second time. And this time, he's not going to come as a helpless little baby. 
The heavens will be rent open and there will be thunder and lightning and earthquakes and there will be a trumpet from heaven and everyone on the face of the earth will be drawn to the one who comes from heaven. And the unapproachable light that we can't approach will approach us. And Jesus Christ in all his glory will come ready to make war against the enemies of God. And after he makes war with the enemies of God and he raises his own back to life and he gathers us together, we will declare to him that he is the only sovereign over all reality. You are the only authority that matters. You are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the one that hands out eternal life and eternal damnation. You open the gates of heaven and slam shut the gates of hell. So fight the good fight of the faith knowing that that day is coming. What do you want to be doing when that day comes? How do you want to have lived your life? What kind of investment in that kingdom do you, will you have wished that you made? I stand here long before that day comes, even if it's later today, to warn you and to encourage you to fight. Fight the good fight of the faith with us. And make every decision in light of that day. Finally, fighting the good fight of the faith means guarding the good deposit entrusted to us. And this is how he finishes his letter. Verses 20 to 21. Oh, Timothy. Oh, Saushor. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. That's um, 1 Timothy 6, verses 20 and 21. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. I'm adding the word good because in another place it says good. So guard the deposit entrusted to you. What is the deposit entrusted to us? It's the gospel. It's the gospel that you find in this book. This Bible is the deposit entrusted to us. So we are to guard it. How do we guard it? We guard it by reading it, by living it, by preaching it, and by teaching it. If we do anything less than that, we are not fighting the good fight of the faith. At the very end, he just reminds Timothy one last time. There's problem people. Problem people in the church and problem people outside of the church. Confront those inside the church. Apart from that, avoid all the irreverent babble. Avoid all the stupid baby talk. That's what he's saying. The words that aren't even words from people who think they're just so smart. Avoid it. If you listen long enough, you'll find out that it's filled with contradictions. They talk about how knowledgeable they are, but it's false knowledge. The gospel is not there. And by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Then he ends with perhaps the most important part of this morning's message. Grace. Grace be with you. We can't do this. We can't fight this fight without the grace of God. Every one of us is going to hurt a brother or sister in this church with careless words and actions. So grace, 
grace be with you. I'm going to hurt you. I don't want to. I don't mean to. I will. I'll either forget to do something or I won't do something or do something that I shouldn't have. But you say the same to me. Grace. Grace be to you. Could you know my heart for this church? All I want is for your good. All I want is for Christ's glory to manifest among us. So if I stumble and trip, could you open your, come to me and open your Bible here and say, grace be with you? Because that would be water to my soul. And I say, for my part, grace be with you. This brings us to the end of 1 Timothy. Now we're going to share in Holy Communion. And this is what I want us to think as we take in communion. There's two things. Number one, we want to reflect on what Christ has done for us. Because all of 1 Timothy is God's way of saying, this is how you respond to what I have done for you in Christ. So if you want to know how to worship God in a way that pleases him, if you want to know how do you respond to all that Christ has done for you, well, you fight the good fight of the faith by implementing 1 Timothy. So as we're going to share the elements, we want to remember what God did first. But then only take the bread and the cup if you have resolved in your heart to fight the good fight of the faith in response to what Christ has done for you. If you're going to fight the good fight of the faith with brothers and sisters in this church who want to fight that fight with you, and if you, if you are resolved in your heart that you want to respond to the gospel of the glory of God and the gift that he has given to us, then take the bread and take the cup. But if you're not willing to fight the fight of the faith, examine yourself Pass the plate, pass the cup. I pray this. I'm going to pray now, and I'm going to ask those who are handing out the elements to come forward. God, I pray. We have been through 1 Timothy, and all of this is in response to what you've done for us. Now I pray that you would help us, you would empower us to worship you by fighting the good fight of the faith together. And may this fight so unite us that we, by your grace and by the power of your spirit, would be a movement and a force to be reckoned with in this city. And as we commit to one another, and as we commit to you, I pray, please bless us in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our sin, bless us. Overwhelm us with your grace. Pray these things in the name of the one who died and rose again, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus, the head of this house.